I want you to think way back to the beginning. The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, the angels, the animals, and God. How Adam and Eve looked forward to the end of each day. And the sweet fellowship that was theirs at the end of each day. And Genesis chapter 3 calls it the cool of the day. As I was imagining this, I was just imagining much they looked forward to the end of the day, the cool of the day, when God Himself would visit them daily in the Garden of Eden. I was thinking that some days they probably would, uh, God would arrive and they probably would just get together with God and sit under a mango tree or a, a great arbor and they would just enjoy the mango with grapes. Teaches that they would just sit and recount for God the things that they discovered that day. And that was new for them. The new discoveries, the things they learned about the animal and the vegetation, and they would just sit and enjoy that kind of God. On other days, it might have been that they just walked together in silence, through the garden. Maybe holding hands, Adam and Eve and God, just walking and enjoying one another's company. Kind of like you do with somebody that you love and you enjoy. You, you, you don't even have to talk, right? You're just, you're just silent together. Imagine Adam and Eve just savoring those times and silent to talk. Maybe other days, it was more fun, where they just they play tag together, you know, or they play hide and go seek. Where they sit beside a beautiful cascading waterfall or a little creek and they, they drink out of that fresh creek and they go swimming in a little pool or they roll down grassy slopes together, um, avoiding the levels. They're probably levels that Petting, lions and tigers. Oh, wait, in each day. Can you imagine? Just put yourself in Adam and Eve's, I was going to say shoes, but uh, their bare feet. And the anticipation at the end of each day, the cool of the day, is God arrived in the garden to fellowship. Yeah, fellowship. But then one day, God arrived in the garden. Their daily time of fellowship. Where are you, God called out? It's not that he didn't know where they were, because even as he asked the question, I think his heart was great. Because he knew where they were, they were hiding. Adam and Eve, who was been a years, enjoying sweet. Fellowship with God every day, unbroken fellowship, amazing intimacy. God arrives and says, "Where are you, my people? They're hiding. They're hiding from God. What that they don't enjoy, amazing fellowship with God. What did happen? Well, Adam's explanation in Genesis chapter three is this. He says." 
speaking to God and says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I did. Those words coming from a guy who has experienced months, years of sweet fellowship with God, out of the blue, on this day, he says, afraid. He's feeling exposed, he's vulnerable, and he's hiding something off his career. It's not such amazing fellowship. To turn such sweet fellowship that they had enjoyed with God into such shame. You know, and, and you can be asking yourself that same question too, because I don't know you sure not much different than I am, but I can, I can have such sweet times of fellowship with God, and then something happens in that sweet fellowship turns to shame. I think for Adam and Eve, it wasn't just the realization that they had done something wrong. They, they had. They had eaten from the fruit that God said they were not to be from. They absolutely disobeyed God's command. But it wasn't just the realization that they had done something wrong. They were also now convinced that something was now with them terribly wrong. It's not just what they had done, but now it's them that is wrong. And so they had made clothes out of fig leaves, but it had done nothing to erase the shame and the nakedness because when they're hiding from God, they're covered with their man-made clothing, and yet even with their fig leaf clothes, they're filled with grave and exposed when they're hiding from God. Their own attempt to deal with their sin and their broken fellowship with God has left them in the fear. Maybe some of you are feeling that way this morning. Like God is like God is far away. That your relationship with God, which we can make this morning a part of, not being here or or you having you spend with him and your everyday life seem like years apart. And so even those wonderful times of fellowship, you're totally ashamed because of the sin that you're struggling with, that you're hiding from God that you feel you're doing, even on the outside, even as you're sitting here this morning, you know, that God is the best way I can think to describe it this morning is I think about it, and we're going to talk about living in the light, breaking the power of shame, is that sin for you right now might be kicking you up. And even though you're trying to live and you're trying to follow God, and you're trying to deal with your sin, you're just kicking your body, constantly struggling with a sense of shame. To whom John is one, who are struggling in this same way. False teachers, who are called Gnostics, 
were telling them that the body is evil, the spirit is good, the body is evil, and that only and that God can only be known to them through some kind of secret knowledge, gnosis. So God is this mystery God, he's distant from them, and all they know is that who they are, their bodies are evil, and for them it's, it's like a hopelessness. They don't know what to do. On, on the one hand, some of them are, are trying to beat up their body, they're being harsh to their bodies. That's the one that I really doing that through legalism. Thinking that somehow I just kept enough rules and if I did enough stuff, somehow I'd be right with God and make up the Or asceticism, just treat, treating our bodies harshly, and yet they knew in the midst of their harsh treatment of their body, the asceticism and legalism, that it wasn't working, and they're still filthy. Their sin wasn't being taken care of. On, on the other hand, some of them, because the body was considered evil, they thought, what does it matter? And so instead of treating their bodies harshly, they said, let's live and let's live. And, and so they lived lives of absolute abandonment, living for pleasure, hedonism, as opposed to legalism. And yet the end result for both of them was shame and condemnation, and questioning at times whether or not they were even So just to review verses 1 through 4 really quickly, and where we are as we come to verse 5, and the theme of living in the light, breaking the power of shame. There's two things that I want us to remember or get in verses 1 to 4. The first is the eternal God became a real human being, Jesus. So important. That which was from the beginning, and he's Pointing back to the book he wrote, the Gospel, John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and this Word who was in the beginning, this Logos, wasn't just a mystery, he wasn't just knowledge, he was a real person. The eternal God became a real human being, flesh and blood. And that reminds how important and powerful that is, because Matter can't be evil because God Himself took matter upon Himself and became human. The eternal God became our well-being being Jesus. And number two, real life and real joy that are in relationship with Him. Kind of as Daniel was saying earlier, it's not about information, gnosis, knowledge. I've got a lot of knowledge, but in the midst of my knowledge, sometimes I so far away from him. So distant from him. Real life and joy are in relationship with him. The question is, if that's true, why do we still experience at times so much shame and condemnation? How can the power of that shame and condemnation be broken? And this is the answer, and this is what we're going to look at in verses 5 and following. The power of shame and condemnation in our lives is broken when we live in the light. When we live in the light. Look at verse 5. This is the message 
We have heard from him and went to Jesus, the one who was from the beginning, became a human being and lived on this earth and spoke. The message we have heard from him and declared to you is God is love and there is no darkness. And this is the starting point. If we want the power of shame and condemnation to be broken in our lives, we have to live in the light that God is. God is love. And in him there's no darkness at all. In fact, it's a powerful, literally what it says, it's a double negative. Literally what it says is God is light and in him there is no darkness, not any darkness at all. <coughs> this God revealed himself to us in Jesus, who in John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. In John 1, 9 he says, he is the true light that gives light to everyone. And in John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. God is light, and his light is what gives light to all of us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, listen to the love this verse, it says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness, and it's a reference back to creation. Genesis chapter 1. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in Christ. As we look through three scenarios that, that John lays out for us to help us to understand this, this is what I want you to get. The power of shame and condemnation is broken when we live in the light. Two things, when we are honest about our sin, and when we understand, number two, what Jesus has done about our sin. And I guarantee you, if we get those two things, living in the light, we're honest about our sin, we admit our sin, we don't try to hide our sin. We're honest about our sin, but that's not enough. We also understand what Jesus has done about our sin. That, that it has, sin has no power over us. Shame and condemnation has no power over us. And we're going to see these three scenarios. I want you to look at your Bibles. Because we're just going to kind of summarize these quickly, but it's so important. Scenario number one, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, we claim to be intimate with God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. This is line number one. It keeps us under the power of shame and condemnation. We claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. We lie and do not live out the truth. The lie is, I can enjoy life in Jesus and live in sin at the same time. You hear that? You might be where some of you are at this morning. I can enjoy living with Jesus. I can enjoy life in Jesus and live in sin at the same time. But John says, wow. 
they lie, we don't, we're not living in the truth, we're not false, we're not living in the reality, we're not living in the lie. Because you can't enjoy Jesus and enjoy sin at the same time. Get that? What it results in is a life of denial and deception. Acting like we have a relationship with Jesus but we really don't. How many of us have been there? Acting like everything's hunky dory. Me and Jesus is tied up. Every time I think of this, it reminds me of a young man that used to come to you know, one of our late nights uh, for years. And he would boast about his pot smoking and drug dealing and wonderful relationship with God. And it's all happening at the same time. And the only one who was deceived was him. Because everyone else around him knew that his life was an absolute shame. You can't enjoy Jesus and sin at the same time. The truth is, the next verse it says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. I want you to see each one of these scenarios, the answer is understanding what Jesus has done about us. That's what breaks the power of shame and condemnation. It's a confidence of who we are in Jesus and what he's done. That sin has nothing over us. If we understand who we are in If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. And you know, if you, if you really look at that verse, I think some of you, it might seem like it contradicts itself. Because you're thinking, if, well, if we walk in the light, then why would we need Jesus' blood to purify us from all sin? You see that? It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This is the truth. It is, it, it is as we walk with him that the power of our sin is broken, not when we break the power of our sin that then he walks with us. You hear the difference? I think so often we think if, if I want to have fellowship with God, it's got to be I got to take care of my sin and God will be happy with me and I can have fellowship with him. That's not just the same. It says as we walk in relationship with him, we're imperfect people and we're gonna blow it, we're gonna mess up, and we're gonna screw up. But as we walk with him in the light of his revelation in terms of honesty about sin and awareness about what Jesus has done about our sin, then God with us is gonna break the power of sin, shame, and condemnation in our lives. It's one of the beautiful most beautiful pictures I've Illustrations I've ever seen, I've shared this before, is in the book called Cure, where this guy is struggling with his sin. There's this mound of garbage sin. We all got that, right? We all have mounds of garbage and sin. And so often, the way we look at our sin is us on this side and God on the other side. But the true picture, the picture that's being talked about here, is is as we walk in the light with him, and here we're with God, and, and we're in fellowship together. We're looking together at the garbage of our sin. And us, the 
the power of Jesus upon the cross on the cross is what enables us to live without sin. Scenario number two. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Line number two. I'm a good person. You know, when you look at, you know, the, the people that bomb people, kill people, you know, theater shootings, Boston Marathon bombings, they're the bad people. They have this perception. And we want to be good people, right? We want to be good people. We don't want to be bad people. But it's a lie. If, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Okay. Living in the light and seeing the power of shame and condemnation broken is admitting that we aren't good people. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And if that offends you, as I showed up this morning, that's one of the things that's going to keep the power of sin and shame and condemnation from being broken in your life. Because the starting point is exposing, being honest about our sins, and saying, I am not, in the heart of my being, I am not a good person. I don't always think good thoughts. I don't always say good words. I don't always do nice things. Because if I'm being, I'm not a good person. I'm suffering from God and the sin. For all of suffering, for I'm sure the glory of God. It results in denying the reality of sin, but the worst part, it denies the possibility of forgiveness. Because if we're so intent on saying, I'm a good person, what does that do? That eliminates our need of becoming a different person. Something being done about this stuff that we think and the things that we say and the way that we act and there's nothing we can do about it as a good person. The truth says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all righteousness. That's where the power is broken. The power of sin, shame, and condemnation. Not when we try to say that we are something we aren't, but when we admit who we really are. Then he's faithful and he's just. And he will forgive us our sins. If we admit our sinfulness, we can experience forgiveness. And his righteousness. Scenario number three. Verse 10. It's not if we deny sin, but if we deny that we sin. Verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us, because he has said all that sin and fallen short of glory of God. It's kind of, isn't it one of our first reactions? I'm I know it's my grandkids' first reaction when I when I bring something to their attention that they've done. What did he, what did he really say? I didn't do it. 
that's what we see in Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. I mean, I didn't do it. She did it. And he did it. And, and, and shame becomes blame. If we do not call sin what God calls sin, there is no sacrifice and forgiveness for sin. All that's left is shame and condemnation. Because the sin doesn't go away because we say we don't have it. The only way it goes away is what we see in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this to you that, so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate, and the word is paraclete, it's the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. We have somebody that has come alongside of us, come alongside of us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our shame, in the midst of our condemnation, in the midst of our blaming. He's come alongside of us, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. And in his righteousness, he's become our sinfulness so that we could become righteousness. Second Corinthians 5 21. If you haven't memorized it yet, you've got to read that. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us on the cross so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And there's no shame and condemnation. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word, I, I love the word, it says Jesus Christ the righteous one. It says here, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Literally the word is propitiation. I love that word because what it means is that on the cross, Jesus didn't just hang there and, and paint for our sin, but he experienced the anger of God against sin, our sin, because God is angry about sin. Why is God angry about sin? Because sin is destroying our lives. Look what it did to Adam and Eve. Weeks and months and years of sweet fellowship, hanging out with God, eating mangoes and skinny dipping, and they weren't toast, right? And, and just enjoying God, and then. Just like that, because of sin, it's destroyed. And they're afraid, and they're hiding, and they're vulnerable. And their fellowship with God is just small. Is that what we're at this morning? I mean, it, it has to be many of us. And it might be that no one would ever know, because on the outside, everything looks good. No one would say, oh, I read my Bible this morning. church, and yet there's that hidden sin that's causing shame and condemnation, and it's separating us from Him, it's wreaking havoc on, it's keeping us from fellowship with God, it's keeping us from fellowship with one another, because that's what sin does, it separates us from God, it separates us from one another. And the only way its power can be broken is when we admit it, when we're honest about it, and that could just be with God. I'm not saying stand up here and confess all your sins to everyone. Pouring out our hearts to God and admitting our sin and our shame. Maybe it's with a 
close friend. In James chapter 5, it says, confessing our sins to one another, we could be healed. But exposing it, admitting it, taking away its power, as we understand that the propitiation that happened on the cross dealt with it once and for all. To deal with it ourselves. Jesus dealt with it. He paid it. He experienced the anger of God against sin. So that we don't have to be afraid, fearful, shameful, condemned, because he's dealt with our sin. Listen to this quote. It's from the book The Cure. It says, It wasn't until Adam and Eve trusted that, that God did something, providing his own covering for them. As we come to the end of Genesis chapter 3, God provides them in the skin coverings. It's a picture of the shed blood of Jesus that would be powerful covering for some only thing that particularly should condemnation, that they could be free from hiding and condemnation. And that is still true for me many centuries later. Anytime I hurt another or make wrong choices, the way home is not by attempting to cover my failure through something I can do to pay God off. The way home is not effort. It's not amends. It's not promises. The way home is trusting what God in Jesus paid on the cross to cleanse my heart. The power of shame and condemnation is broken when we live in the light. When we're honest about our sin, when we call sin, sin, when we admit it and expose it because we understand that Jesus has done that our sin, that he's taken care of it, all of it. And there's no need for shame and condemnation. Oh, Jesus, that's right. Father, seems like such a tricky thing. We we so easily deceive ourselves and think that we just ignore it or evade it or hide it, cover it over, it. somehow it will go away. And yet we know we really know deep down inside of it. It doesn't the shame and condemnation and separation is all. The only thing that can free us is bring you to the Lord, who Jesus is and bring you to the presence. And so Father. I pray that you would open our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is, what he's done, what he's accomplished, that frees us, completely frees us, eternally frees us from that shame. Father, thank you for Jesus, our common sacrifice.